Oh, Tudor-minded people, it's Philadelphia Carrie for Tudor Time Machine. The word I share with you this week is be thought. When I was a young maid, I was full of vigour. I relished climbing a tree, and when the spirit struck, I used my legs to run very, very fast over hills and across the fields. Oh, my, it did distress all those who loved me. Off my mother would cry, but I cared nothing for her tears. She had many children, eleven who lived, but she was often away, for she was a member of the privy chamber to Elizabeth I. She was sure that I too would want to serve this great queen, and I could not do so if I were always running about. And so I bethought me and came to see that indeed to serve the queen was an honour. Once I decided such a thing, I could not drumble. I learned Latin and the lute and to dance, and I read many treatises, for I knew I must present myself well if I were to be in the retinue of our great queen. And did Elizabeth choose me? She did indeed. Bethought. How now, Tudor Files? What think you? If you're new here, I'm Gage. I'm Jessica. And we're here with Philadelphia Carey for Tudor Word of the Week. Don't miss a word and listen to the Tudor Time Machine Story Project. So diverting. Subscribe on YouTube and give me a like. Tudor Files are an amazing bunch. Every one of you has the wit of Rosalind and the heart of Cordelia. Can you give us the spelling of Bethought, Philadelphia? It is spelled B E T H. O-U-G-H-T, and it is one word. And bethought means to consider, to ponder on, to meditate. It is a word that you must use to refer to yourself. I bethought me, for example. Yes, it's reflexive. Sure, and Shakespeare people are always saying, I do bethink me, or now I bethink me. And these reflexive words, they're very interesting rhythmically. We don't really use them so much, but in other languages, of course, they're still really common. And our example of this word is not from Shakespeare, but from a writer that's less well-known, Barton Marprelate. Very much less well-known. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, everybody read Martin Marprelate, if you can believe it. He was a satirist and he was an incredible wordsmith. He really mocked the elite members of the Anglican Church. And, you know, that was a big subject matter at the time. He wrote satire about how corrupt the Church of England was, how brutal. And, of course, this made authorities absolutely furious. And the way he wrote was so engaging that everyone in London wanted to read the pamphlets, even if they didn't agree with him, because they're so funny. He used nonsense language, a gossipy voice, bathroom humor, protest language, and lots of cursing. And he mixed it all together so he would appeal to everyone. Yeah, because he didn't want his pamphlets just to be read by the members of the Anglican Church or the Anglican Church elite, the bishops and people like that. He wanted these pamphlets to be read by everybody. He wanted the common people, or those that could read, of course, to read what he had to say about how the church was failing them. And weirdly, given the preconceptions we have about Puritans and the way Mar Prelate wrote with humor and kind of bathroom humor and all that stuff, he actually was pushing Puritanism. 
he was because I think he thought it was more of the people. You were more in charge of your own religion. Puritans were against so much of this sort of fun or what we think of as Puritanism was against this sort of fun and gossip and language and cursing. It just seems like a funny way to push that. But there you go. That's what it was. His first big pamphlet was called The Epistle, and mm. it appeared at London Station. Catchy. <laughs> yes. And it was a rebuttal to a book called A Defense of the Government Established in the Church of England for Ecclesiastical Matters. That is not catchy. <laughs> it's not a very funny title. It's not a very readable book. It's not relatable. It doesn't bring people in. Oh, George. Tongue, my dear Cage. This fellow caused much uproar and was a wild dissembler. I'll have none of him. And ladies, you must use your noddles. What is this fellow's name? His name is Marprelate. And what, pray, is a prelate? In the Christian church, it's someone who's very high ranking. I think it's like a bishop or something like that. Oh. I get it. It's Mar plus Prelate. Okay, so his name Mar Prelate is a kind of joke, meaning ruin the bishop. Of course, it wasn't his real name. It was a pen name. It was not allowed to write that sort of criticism of the church. The authorities tried to find him and arrest him, but he stayed in the shadows and used his pen name. So you think he was wrong to do that, Philadelphia? I think he was cowardly. What he wrote was illegal. John Whitgift was Archbishop of Canterbury, and he insisted Marpolate must be silenced. And I would not brabble with an archbishop. Well, the bishop did try to counter Marpolate's ideas with other ideas. Yes, the bishop would write these long, extremely technical sort of biblical point-by-point point replies to Marprelate's criticism. And he would order his priests to do that too. But the way they approached it was so boring that no one really read these replies. <laughs> but at least they had the self-awareness to realize it. And so then they decided <laughs> they would hire playwrights. We are boring. We need, a, we need to bring in the A-team. Yes. So they hired playwrights to write some responses that would engage people. They hired these popular playwrights, John Lilly, Robert Greene, who was also a pamphleteer himself, and Thomas Nash, the university wits, as they were called, because the authorities wanted these playwrights who knew how to engage common people to be as interesting as Marpolate was. But the issue was that they didn't take the time to teach them <laughs> what the church's position was. So they mainly just insulted Martin Marprelate. Elizabethan writers love a good insult. <laughs> so it was completely ineffective. And Philadelphia, what did Queen Elizabeth do? The Queen also thought Marprelate dangerous and should be censored. Yet our wise Queen thought it best if all the nastiness did not fall on her head, but fell instead on the bishop. She chose not to have civil authorities support the bishop, and so the bishop had to send his own secretary to find the printing press. <laughs> she was so wise. That explains why it took two years to find the printing press and the publisher. Yeah, because you imagine good old Walsingham could have found it in about ten minutes. <laughs> but 
The queen didn't like to get involved in these things with popular people. She wanted to be popular. She saw that as her strength, as her way of survival. So she kind of let other people be the bad guy in these situations. But the punishment for printing pamphlets against the church, it was incredibly serious. Did the printer turn in Martin Marprelate to save his own skin? Is that how they found him? They never found Marprelate's true identity, yet they did find the publisher, one John Penry, and he was hung on the 29th of May, 1593. Oh, that's terrible. It took two years, but the church did stop him. Yet we cannot deny Martin Marprelate did have a way with words. Yes, tell us how he used Bethought in our word of the week. He wrote in defense of himself. I saw the cause of Christ's government and of the bishop's anti-Christian dealing to be hidden. The most part of men could not be gotten to read anything written in the defense of the one and against the other. I bethought me, therefore, of a way whereby men might be drawn to do both, perceiving the humours of men in these times, especially of those that are in any place, to be given to mirth. I took that course. I actually think it's generally better to take the course of mirth. We still do that, right? Look at all these late night hosts who do these topical monologues and make fun of everything. And people digest their news in that way. It's more fun. And throughout history and even in our own time, the jester can say things that no one else can. Then as now. Oh, my tutophiles, I once bethought myself a person who understood man's nature. Now I know it is not so. It is a tangled web. Oh, my. Give heed to the files. Bring some 16th century source to your vocabulary with bethought. Listen in next time. Don't miss a word. Subscribe on YouTube and give me a like. Bye.